Good morning, everyone. So happy to be with you here in Jackson today. Um, it is nice to see everyone. If you were here last week, you will know that um, Ryan sort of took us from our two weeks of World Fest. It's the weeks where we focus on God's heart for the nations and our part in that as a Kettlebrook family and started to turn us towards Christmas um, and started off our Christmas Eve series and helped us begin to focus on our Christmas Eve offering. For the last eight years, as Ryan talked about briefly, we've given away 100% of our Christmas Eve offering, always to one of our REACH Global partners to help um, fuel the work that God is doing through them around the world. It has not been a small amount, praise God, between $35,000 and $55,000 every year Kettlebrook has given away for eight years. And this year we have a great opportunity to be involved in helping our partners, Eric and Molly Croner, who live in Chad, Africa, um, and their team sort of push out into a more remote, unreached region of Chad. It's possible that you've not heard of Eric and Molly. They've been our partners for 10 years. But maybe you've heard of a woman named Sally. We talk about Sally a lot. Sally is a Chadian woman who came to Christ um, and she came to Christ through Eric and Molly's team. She lives in their city, um, and she came to Christ actually after 15 years of Christian presence in her life. So it was through their team that Sally came to Christ. And this team has lived and ministered in the city called Amtiman for almost 20 years. But as they've been there, they've always had their eye on another region that is six hours further remote than where they are. Where they are is very remote. This region is six hours further remote where an unreached people group called the Runga live. And though the team's been able to go there, they've actually lived there for like a month at a time, they've been unable to sort of set down roots and live among the Runga. But that's what they're moving toward. And so by way of introduction, we're going to show you a video. Having the nice house with the beautiful kitchen and having the youth group near our house, but um, God had different plans. And I think <clears throat> as you follow God in small steps of faith, sometimes you get to places and you don't even know how you got there. Mm -hmm. You just you continue to take small steps of faith, and you look back and realize He was preparing you for things you never would have expected to be ready. Life is our offering, and we need to reframe our thought process in the sense of it's not what we, it's not just about putting money into the basket, but are we giving our whole life as an offering? Who are we to say, we'll give you this much, God, when he's wanting us to give everything and to live with our hands open? We work in the very southeast corner of Chad, so 
Um, Enjimena is on the um, west border of Chad. We drive 12 hours to get to Antimon. And that's where the ministry started. Um, and from the very beginning of ministry there, there was always a desire to minister also in, in two areas. Um, one uh, village area uh, called Abudea and another even further southeast in the very southeast corner of Chad called Faraz. Um, this is this is pioneer work. It's extremely um, exciting and challenging, um, and this area becomes completely cut off from the rest of Chad for a good five or six months out of the year. So um, this is a challenging place to serve. Um, and what's really exciting to us is um, um, we currently have um, a young woman um, who is a linguist, and her desire is to take on the major people group. Uh, in the Haraz, the Runga, um, and have that be her life work. One, it, allows, it will allow us to dream big. Um, two, it will allow for us to hit the ground running. And three, um, it will allow for sustainability of um, the ministry there. Um, with those resources in place, we can focus on thriving in ministry instead of just surviving. Mm -hmm. God is so gracious that when we think, I can't handle another moment, He gives you just what you need. Many people have heard about Sally, who has come to faith, and her sister Allie, and Sally's children, and just what God is doing miraculously. He is using her faithfulness to be drawing people to himself every single week. I mean, how many times I say I feel like I'm living in the book of Acts, but I get to see it before my eyes. I say that's worth it. Eric and Molly. Amen. They're going to be here actually next week. Um, we'll be interviewing them and you'll have a chance. Well, you might have a chance to talk to them. They'll have to go back up to West Bend. But they'll be talking more about all of this. But in short, um, the Christmas Eve offering will go to help their team establish roots there in Haraz, uh, the region that it's called. And the reason um, is because there's basically no infrastructure there. So if you think about like Washington County, there are people there, but there's no running water, there's no electricity, there's no medical care. There are people, there's no infrastructure. And so their team wants to move into the region with this young linguist, and they basically have to set up um, like glorified camping so that they will be able to live and work there. As Eric said, the region becomes completely cut off from the world basically for months out of the year when the rainy season comes in. And so they need things like an emergency fund in case one of them has to fly out because of a medical emergency, things like that. The goal, though, is for them to live there and set down roots among the Runga. Now maybe you're wondering why. Why focus on people who live on the other side of the planet who we will never, ever meet? 
Why would Kettlebrook care about this? Why would we send so much money towards this? Why would a doctor and his family leave their very good life to go and settle themselves into a community in Chad, Africa? The answer, I I think, comes in the verses we read at the end. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. The truth is that the Runga will not hear about the good news of Jesus, the good news that God has made a way to have a relationship with him through Jesus unless someone goes to tell them. There is currently no one near them or like them who can tell them about Jesus in their own language. They're basically cut off from the gospel. But how will someone go to the Runga unless they are sent? And that's where we come in, the Kettlebrook family. We get to be a very big part in helping send them to Haraz so that they can set down roots right among the Runga with the hopes of one day sharing the gospel with them. Now, Eric and Molly are good friends of mine. Eric grew up in West Bend. He graduated from the high school. They met at UW-Madison. They are normal people, just like you and me. But they simply said yes to God was leading them, to steps God was leading them to take. And they said yes, and they said yes, and they said yes. And one day, they woke up and found themselves in the middle of a desert country in a town that is called the Swamp three months out of the year because of the rainy season. We may joke about our weather here, which has been pretty bad, but I would take our weather here almost any day of the week over their weather. They have either hot or very hot and very humid, or scorching hot and unbearably humid. There is no air conditioning there in the city where they live. It is a hard place to live. And when I think about what they do and how they live and the choices they've made, I think it takes a certain kind of kindness, grace toward others to give up the life you have in order to give others a chance for life. It takes a lot of sacrifice. And as according to the verses that we read, which the Apostle Paul wrote, he might look at Eric and Molly and say, beautiful feet. Their beautiful feet are bringing the good news. Now, if you ask them, they will tell you they love the life God has led them to. It is hard, yes, but they would not choose anything else. About six years ago, um, Sandy Fisher and I got to go and spend some time with them in Chad. It was hot, as it always is, and one day sort of stands out to me in particular when I think back on my trip. Molly had to go to the market to buy some lettuce, and so Sandy and Molly and I put on our little thighs, that is six meters of fabric that Chadian women wrap themselves up in. We slipped on our flip-flops and we headed off to the market. Now, it's impossible for me to describe to our American mindsets what a Chadian market is like. Don't think West Bend Farmer's Market. It is like, well, there's tables and stalls set up everywhere with people selling all sorts of things, with little aisleways running through, and there's people, and there's people pushing carts, and there's donkeys and cows walking down those aisleways. It's crowded, and it's hot. 
And as we sort of made our way into the market, I noticed some mud squishing in between my toes. And I looked down and I realized that my flip-flops were no match for the rainy season mud, the animal dung, and all manner of other things that I was walking in. And as we squished our way along, I remembered an article I had read a few years back about how some countries in Africa have this mud-borne parasite that crawls into the feet of people who walk in the mud. And I started getting anxious to buy our lettuce and get out of the market. So I said, Molly, look, there's a lady right here selling lettuce. Let's buy it from her. And Molly looked back at me, and she sort of adjusted her lafai, and she smiled, as she always does. And she said, well, last week I bought lettuce from a lady over there, and so I want to go back to her because I'm hoping I can have a conversation with her. And so we squished on and on and on and on, further and further into the market, as donkeys squished past us and people squished past us, and we passed lettuce here and lettuce here and lettuce everywhere. And I became certain that the parasites were entering my feet. Finally, deep in the bowels of the market, we arrived to the lettuce ladies. And they all just lit up with smiles when they saw Molly. And they hugged her and gave her cheek kisses. And she chatted with them for a long time and bought some lettuce. And then we squished our way out. From there, we walked to visit to a house to visit a family that their team had been visiting, building a relationship with in the hopes of maybe one day sharing the gospel with them. It just so happens that one of the ladies who is a part of this family is a woman named Sally. And when we got to their family gate, Molly asked for water to wash our feet. And I figured it was customary, so Sandy and I did what Molly did. We washed our feet. Once our feet were clean, we went in and we visited with Sally and her sisters. And that night when we were back home in their home, Molly mentioned, she said, I was so worried about my feet at the market today. And I thought, well, thank God I wasn't the only one thinking about parasites. But she went on, she looked at Sandy and I, and she said, you know, for our Muslim friends, if our feet aren't clean, according to the rules of Islam, they're not allowed to pray. And I was really concerned that my feet would be muddy by the time we got to Sally's house and that that would be a hindrance to our relationship. While I was freaking out about parasites entering my feet, Molly had one concern, that the mud on her feet would be a hindrance to the eventual bringing of the good news to this family. And at that moment, God said to my heart, Kara, those are beautiful feet. Her feet are beautiful. And so why do I tell you this story? Why do I tell you this story today? Because as we sit here kind of mid-December, looking ahead to Christmas, thinking about our Christmas Eve offering, I can't help but make a super clear connection in my mind. The reason the kroners are full of grace, full of the sort of kindness it takes, full of enough compassion to choose this for their life, the reason they chose to leave what they know their comfortable life, to go live in a foreign place that's significantly harder, the reason they chose to uproot and actually move into the neighborhood with the Chadians to live among them is because of what we celebrate at Christmas. Eric and Molly follow Jesus, 
who moved from heaven to earth to live among us. So if you have your Bibles today, I know you guys all got those sheets, but if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps or whatever you use, please open them up to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 18. We will have it on the screen as well. All right, here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Eric and Molly and their team are full of kindness and grace to people who frankly may never respond to the good news that they carry because they follow very closely behind a God who has done the very same thing. A God who is full of grace and full of kindness toward us. They follow a God who would leave what he knows and step into this muddy, uncertain world as a baby in order to make a way for people to have a relationship with him. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The book of John says this about Jesus. And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God came to live among us in Jesus because the feet of Jesus are the ultimate beautiful feet. And Molly and Eric follow him. And we as a family, Kettlebrook, follow him. The Runga are now cut off from the gospel, basically. There's no one near them or like them who can tell them about Jesus. But they're not the only ones separated from God. God came to live among us in Jesus because all of humanity was cut off from him. Way back when Adam and Eve chose their own way, when they chose to defy the God who loved them, who cared for them, who gave them everything that they needed, all of humanity became cut off from God. Jill Briscoe says this, As Adam and Eve left the garden, Jesus prepared to leave heaven for Bethlehem. As Adam and Eve left the garden, Jesus prepared to leave heaven for Bethlehem. When humans chose to rebel against God and turn away from him, God put his plan into action to come to us, to be birthed among us, to live among us, to give us away back to him because his feet are beautiful. He's full of kindness and he's full of grace. We call the celebration of this Christmas. And so today as we begin our 
as we continue, actually, our Christmas series, which we're calling Full, we're going to focus for the next few minutes on God being full of grace toward us. And what we want to consider today is that God is so full of grace toward us that he came to live among us and make a way for us to have a relationship with him. So if you found that spot in the book of Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament, the first chapter, um, I want you to take a look at it because I have a question for you. Matthew chapter 1. What do you see at the start of Matthew chapter 1? What? Thank you. That gave me time to get a drink of water. Yes, we see a list of names, a genealogy, right? Genealogy. I have a confession to make. When I'm reading my Bible and I get to a genealogy, I normally skip over the entire thing. It's boring. I usually can't pronounce the names, and they don't make sense to me. It usually doesn't hold any meaning for me, so I skip right over it, which is what we did when we read the scripture before. You see, the problem is I'm not usually looking at the big picture, the full story, so this list of seemingly random names doesn't hold any significance for me. I'm not understanding the fullness of the history of the story that's woven through whatever genealogy it is that I'm skipping. So maybe you feel like that when you look at this list of names, and I get that. Maybe this looks like a list of names that doesn't have any meaning. And what I would like to do for our remaining few minutes today is set this list of names into its proper story. I would like to help us see that this genealogy is actually proof that God is full of grace, so full of grace that he would relentlessly step through generation after generation after generation to come and live among us and make a way for us to have a relationship with him. So let's just read verses 1 and 2. It says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And the list goes on all the way to Joseph. We could actually do an entire study on each of those three phrases in the first verse. Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. But for the next few minutes, we are going to focus on the son of Abraham. Why is this here? Why is this listed here? Why is it important? And how does it prove that God is full of grace? In order to figure that out, we have to take a quick look back at the story. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve broke fellowship with God, all of humanity became cut off from God. In describing Adam, who was our first father, the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, says this. Therefore, as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. Death came to the Runga. Death came to us. We were cut off as Jenny reminded us of a few weeks ago. And at that moment when death came in, Jesus prepared to leave his throne in heaven for Bethlehem. So that's the start of our story. Humanity is cut off from God. Death came in. But God, because he's so full of grace, began his journey way back then 
to come and live among us so we could have a relationship with him. And it all starts with Abraham. So just a few chapters later, after this terrible moment in Genesis chapter 3, God visits a man named Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham. And we have verses for that, right? Yes, and he says this, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You will be a blessing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You might remember Manohar focused on this verse a couple weeks ago. This verse is key, but what does it mean? With humanity cut off from God, God was calling Abraham to follow him. Follow me. And through him, God would make a people who were going to be his people on earth, like a mouthpiece to lead people back to God. And when God tells Abraham that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him, he's referring to the fact that through Abraham's line, through his lineage, one would come who would bless all the earth by making a way for people to have their sins forgiven. Interestingly enough, Abraham and his wife Sarah at this time were very old and completely barren. You will have an offspring, Abram, who will come and bless all peoples on earth. Now, if you're following me, you might be wondering to yourself, isn't that kind of a stretch, Kara? I mean, did it really say that in those verses? Did you sort of just put that together? That is a great question. So if we leave Abraham for a moment and fast forward right up to the point before Jesus is born, we will run into a man, a priest, named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who also happened to be very old and very barren. And an angel Gabriel, Gabriel comes to them from out of nowhere and promises Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth that through them, even though they were old and barren, they would have a son who would be a forerunner to the promised Savior, that their son's job would be to point people to Jesus as the Savior. And at the birth of his son, whose name was John, all this history, all these promises, everything he'd ever heard about God since he was a small Hebrew boy came into, came into clear focus for Zechariah. And he looked back through history, back through the genealogy, and at that moment, he understood. And in his understanding, he burst out into praise. And he sang this song, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And you, my child John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him and give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Did you catch it? Zacharias saw it. God has come to his people and redeemed them. He remembered the oath he swore to Abraham. The Lord was coming. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And if we fast forward one more time 
to after the death and resurrection of Jesus, to when the church was being born and all sorts of people were coming to faith in Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to one of these churches in a town named Galatia. And speaking of Jesus, this is what he said. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that, are, that is non-Jewish people, by faith. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. One would come through his own lineage who would restore people to a relationship with God. Jesus, the son of Abraham. And that's the start of the genealogy. And so the rest, the rest of the genealogy, from Abraham all the way to Joseph to Jesus, is sort of the outline, the story of God fulfilling his promises, of God marching his way through time, full of grace, to the moment we call Christmas. And all of his promises were true. Israel was a great nation. Abraham's name is great. The history of Israel through the Bible is a history of God blessing those who blessed Israel and cursing those who didn't. And woven throughout this story, throughout the genealogy, is the promise that one will come who will be a blessing for all people. It's this thread running through the lineage that shouts, God is full of grace. He's coming to live among you. The promised one is coming to fix this broken relationship. I wish we had time to walk through every story in the lineage because they provide like this full picture, this color illustration of God walking through history in his relentless pursuit to get to the point that we celebrate on December 25th each year to the moment when he became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace. The genealogy is not a boring list of names. It is the outline, the scaffolding to a story of a God who is full of grace toward us. Why would Molly and Eric leave what they know and go to a hard place to do the hard work of being beautiful feet that bring the good news? Why do we as a family care about unreached people on the other side of the planet? Because they and we are following the example of of our God who's full of grace toward his people. Our God whose grace toward us compelled him to come live among us so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could know him. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. His name was Jesus. He dwelt among us. He died a death he did not deserve. He conquered death and sin by raising from the dead. His feet were the most beautiful feet. And so as you look ahead, the last few weeks till Christmas, may you have time to contemplate, to dwell on the truth that God is full of grace toward you. May you receive that as true and look ahead to Christmas as a great celebration. May you look around you in the circles of your life and ask God, how can I best be among people who don't yet know you. And may you remember the Runga, who don't know of this good news, and think about how you can be a part in helping them hear the good news of the God who came to live among them.
Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you're so full of grace toward us. It might not be what we learned growing up. We might have learned of a whole different God, but that's not true. Jesus, the son of Abraham, proves way back, thousands of years earlier, you started in your relentless pursuit to come, live among us, and make a way for us to have a relationship with you. We thank you for that, Father. We pray that as we head towards Christmas, that we could quiet down our lives and have time to think about that and reflect about, on that and receive it as true. And we pray that we can, um, for the people around us, be like Abraham and be a mouthpiece, pointing them to the one who's full of grace towards them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.